Hi, this is Nichelle Nichols, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Aren't we all lucky? Ed Robertson along with Chuck Carter and our guest, Allison Mills Newman. Allison Mills Newman, star of Julia, the Leslie Uggam Show, filmmaker. Allison Mills Newman, also the writer, producer, and director of The Tree Widow, the Tree Widow, a series of faith-based films about a charismatic woman who helps young people make better choices in their lives. You can enjoy The Tree Widow films for free on YouTube. You can follow Allison on Facebook as well as AllisonMNewman.com and keep faith filmministries.com. There is also a wonderful eight-minute film about Allison called Spirit Song. Spirit Song, you can see that on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, type in Spirit Song. It's an eight-minute film about Allison and it touches on another aspect of Allison's life and career that we mentioned briefly in our open. You are a gifted musical artist. You're a singer, you're a songwriter. Oh, you play the piano. Music has always been an important part of your life since when you're a young girl. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, music really came into my life through writing poetry. So as a little kid, I, I would write poems. Um, before I started acting at 12, you know, I would write poems and I would make believe and make up things. And, and so my mother had a piano and she played the piano. She had a band piano and she would sit in the um, dining room where the piano was and play music and then she began to teach me how to play the piano and then so from the age of 12 or 13 having learned how to play the piano I would put the lyrics to melodies that I would write and so I just kind of naturally progressed into becoming a little songwriter probably in my own house writing songs on my mother's band piano so as, as the years passed but, you know, like a lot of creative people, we have a lot of different different talents. And we could focus, you know, on any one and through the help of the Lord and hard work, be successful in any one of them, you know. Like, you know, Chuck is a musician as well as a writer. And, and same with me, you know, I'm a writer, musician, actress, and producer. I really love the eye and the gift of directing and all that. But long story short, after my encounter with the casting couch in Hollywood, where... There were movies written just for me, but I remember going to Universal Studios, and you know I was a star. I was a starlight star in the making, and again, you know all that honest and godlike treatment when I appeared on you know Universal Studios, and they ushered me into the producer's office. And the producer goes into his bathroom and he comes out, and he's taking off all his clothes and he's laying on the floor. And I'm 19 years old. And, doing stuff with himself and, you know, telling me what to do with him. And, you know, like, I'm appalled. I'm like, 19. I'm like, what? What? And this guy's old enough to be like my grandfather, right? And so at first when I'm looking at him, you know, he's, he's endearing to me. He reminds me, like, I'm 19, he's 60 or something. And so he reminds me of my grandfather or something. And he goes to the bathroom and he comes out and he's naked. And he's, you know, and I'm like, I'm an actress. And in shock. I guess, thanks be to God, I just had a sense of who I was. I grew up to be an actress, not a prostitute. I grew up around my actual dear Richard and Frank Vera. You know, I'm not a prostitute, I told him. I don't even know where that came from. It just came out of me. I just said, I'm not a prostitute. I'm an actress. And he laughed at me. He just laughed at me. He was like, well, you won't go very far. 
Yeah, well, Google. It, well, that and that and that's the point. I mean, you knew if this is the direction the film industry is going in, because it was the era of black exploitation films, and yeah. which made a lot of money in the 1970s. But you, as an artist, and this this goes back to something we talked about a little while ago. You always had it in you about what you want to do and the types of roles you wanted to pursue. And if that's what the industry says, a young African American woman should be doing if they want to be an actress in the film industry. You knew, Allison, that's not for you, and so you looked at other things. I did, and that's how I returned back to my music, because they blackballed me, you know, because I wouldn't play the game. And I went to my older actress friends, who I won't mention, became very famous, and for advice, because I was young, I was in a crossroad, and my agent was telling me to go on and do it, and I was very, very, very confused and tormented. And they were telling me, just do it, you know, just sleep with the guy, you know, and get the car, you know, be a star, you know. And I'm like, and I just, you know, I escaped. Um, well, I had an encounter with God when I was, I remember I was living in Hollywood Hills, Nichols Canyon. And um, um, my car broke down, and I was living with Cindy Williams. She later became a, one of the whole stars of the Star of William Shirley. But anyway, my car broke down, and I called the automobile club of America, come to fix my car, and an angel came instead of a human being, and an angel came to fix my car and kind of danced around my car, and he had this beautiful light and this joy and this peace, and, I, and you know, I was totally tormented because everybody was telling me I'm crazy, even, you know, Cindy was telling me, just do it, just do it. And so the angel fixed my car, and I looked at him, and in shock, and I thought, he's not famous, he's not rich, don't nobody know his name? He's not on the cover of magazines. I was still on the cover of magazines, but behind the scenes, I was going through this. And decision, do I cross over? Do I sell my soul? Like, what do I do? And all I've ever been is an actress. What else am I going to do in life? What am I going to do? You know, so I'm looking at this guy who later on I realized is an angel, and he's just so filled with joy and peace. And I'm like, I gotta ask him what just what makes him so happy. And he's singing a little gospel song. And by that time, she's you know I departed from the Lord, but I did have that sense of self in my too. And I want to ask him, well, like, what makes you so happy? And you're not famous. You have an old raggedy car, you know. And he was so gorgeously beautiful, black. He was like like black like a, a, car, a tire, and his eyes were so bright, like he was like the sun. And I thought he was human when I looked back, you know, he wasn't. And so he got in his old raggedy, got in his old raggedy truck, and he drove down, you know, the driveway. My house was surrounded by bushes, you know, it's very exclusive. And so I run, you know, I run down the hill because I finally get my nerve up. They ask him, please tell me what makes you so happy. True story, and truck. So I run down the end of the driveway. He should be there because he was old. He was an elderly angel, and he, you know, at least appeared as a, you know, elderly old man. And he drove really, really slow. And mathematically, you know, I was young. I still, you know, could run like that. And I ran down the hill of the driveway, and he wasn't there. He wasn't there. Wow. And I, look, I looked around, and I was like, and then I was speechless. I, I just like, what is happening to me in the midst of all this other stuff that's happening to me? What is happening to me? This person just disappeared, right? And then 
I hear an audible voice come through the sky, John. True story. Audible voice, like a fatherly, eternal, sounds like the ocean or all eternity, but it has a fatherliness kind of vibe in it. And it's called me by my name. And it says, Allison, their goals are real star. And I just started screaming and yelling like I didn't understand what was happening to me. But I got it, kind of. I got it. In spite of my torment, I got it. This voice, this something is telling me. This person is a famous, don't nobody know his name, you know, but he's a star. For whoever this voice is, he's a real star. I'm not a star. All these Hollywood people and these people in these movies, they're not stars to whoever this voice was. So then I go in the house, and the house that I lived in, it had a window that took that that covered the whole living room. You know, it just took over the whole like it was like a big huge window. And Cindy Williams was you know there at the time, and I'm screaming and stuff. And I look at the window. I looked at the window, and I see Dorothy Dandridge and Marilyn Monroe dying. And so my agents, like Hollywood, they have like the idea with that kind of image they're going to put you in. And so at that particular time, they would always compare me to Dorothy Danovich and Marilyn Monroe. Oh, you have a voice like Marilyn Monroe. Oh, you look like, because I have this childlike voice, right, in this adult body. And oh, you look like, you know, you remind us of Dorothy Danovich. And I could see physically how I did. And so the two, the two icons that they, were going to put me in the system to kind of like copy what they had already created. But then, you know, I saw this image of them coming towards me through the window, but they died, right? And so I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. I'm going to die. You know, I'm going to die if I stay. And I heard this voice tell me I'm not a star. And Cindy was screaming back at me and she was saying, you are a star and you're going to be a bigger star. You just get smart and play the game. She says, everywhere I go, I tell people that I stay with you, because she wasn't famous at the time. She was trying to be a famous person. And she said, oh, when I mention your name, they say, oh, you're so talented, and you're so gorgeous, but you're crazy, and you don't know how to play the game, and all you have to do is play the game. And I was like screaming at her, no, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. And so, I don't know, somehow I just remembered New York. And I was like, you know, some of my acting friends from my childhood days that are in New York acting. Uh, and I was like, ah, I've got to get out of here. So I called that very, that very next day after that visit and that encounter with that angel, called my agent. I had the biggest agent in town, CAA, at the time. I told them, look, i got to go to New York. i got to get out of here. And they were like, oh, are you in love? You know, we got falling in love. I said, no, I'm not in love. I, I just got to get out of here. And I, you know, I had, I, you know, I heard a voice tell me, I'm going to, this and that. And guys just listened to me like, oh, my God, like, when I was back, I knew, I knew he thought I was crazy. Like, they said, okay, I'll go to New York. So, I get a plane, you know, I'm in New York. I have a friend that I'm hanging out with as a coach, and she's not famous yet either, but we love each other, and she says, oh, you're going to New York? Oh, I don't know, I'm like 19, I'm not in my mind crazy, right? Like, what am I going to, like, where am I going to stay? I didn't even think about that. But my friend says, oh, when you go to New York, where are you staying? I said, I don't know. She says, oh, I got, you know, my friend, she models for Vogue. You know, she's on the cover of Vogue this week. I'm going to call her up. You can stay with her. So she was from Sweden, and she embraced me and let me come in, right? And just through a series of events, 
me because I'm still famous. I you know I'm operating on this level with all these famous people, musicians, and stuff like that, and I meet through this uh, these through these connections and people being in awe of me still and wanting to be in my presence. This writer who's writing writing a book about Jimi Hendrix who introduces me and hang, you know I'm hanging out with him and then they take me to this musician whose name is Ornette Coleman, who is a saxophone artist extraordinaire. And I'm in his loft, and he says, well, what do you do? And I'm like 19, and I'm like, in my head, I'm just, I don't do anything. I was like, I didn't even think about acting. I just had a blink. But then I said, oh, I write songs. So he says, oh, you do? He says, well, let me hear your songs, right? So I sit down and write my song, I mean, I play my song. And they said, all the people in the law, they just fall in love with the music. They just, oh, wow, that is so great. You need to do an album. You need to do this. You need to do that. And so I started performing with Ornette at the Flash Spot. It's no longer there. And I got my own band. And I just forsake Kasuk acting. And I decided through this introduction to Ornette and his support. I was so wonderfully supported by these musicians in New York. And a lot of them shot of hair and stuff, and they protected me from all of that. I never, even through Hollywood, being exposed to cocaine and all of that, I, it was just a miracle that I, that I never was touched by any of that. And I did, I, I opened up for Ornette Coleman, and I did a play at Town Hall, Town Ball with Ornette Coleman, a part that he wrote. Just for me, I got a band. a and heard about me. The president of the company um, came to hear me sing. I had a jig at Michael's Club one night, and they decided they were going to sign me up. And um, they asked me, where do I live? And at the time, I was living in New York. And I said, thinking of moving back to California in L.A. And he said, oh, we're in L.A. He said, well, when you, come, when you get back to L.A., give me a call. Give a season, right? So I said, okay. And then I had two more nights, and A&M came back every night and listened to watch me. And the last night, Gil says, you know, we'll fly you out to L.A. because we want you to meet her. We want you to meet her. So, you know, I say, okay. I said, you know, actually, I'm planning to come, like, in a week or two. You know? So, okay. So I was in a relationship with a guy who was a rock star at the time, and he was in Philadelphia. And he says, oh, come with me. So, you know, I go and I forget about A&M and that open door. And so I show up two weeks later at my parents' house that, you know, I helped buy. And um, my sister's there. She's saying, where have you been? Everybody, like, didn't have cell phones. And she said, you know, A&M and everybody's calling and everybody's, you know, going crazy. And I did have a manager like, where have you been? Like, you know, so I didn't really answer. So, but in the midst between the time that, I went with this guy to Philadelphia. I started reading the Bible somehow. And whenever I would open the Bible, I would see fornication, fornication. And I didn't know what fornication was. So I started asking people, well, what's fornication? And, you know, they said, well, that's like when you're having sex outside of marriage. But it doesn't matter because as long as you love one another. And I can love Baptists, and it's okay, and God doesn't care. And all of that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And so... In the midst of all of that before, in that two-week period, which I really do think me not responding or not caring about getting a record deal or anything was God's intervention, because in that two-week two week period, I met God. And I started reading the Bible on, on, while I was traveling with this musician 
and I would see fornication and I would see other things. And then one night, I just had this encounter with God where I knew it was God. My first encounter in, in L.A., in Nichols Canyon, I didn't know it was God. But by this time, I had grown a little, and I started reading the Bible, and so I knew it was the voice of God. It told me this was a sin, and I needed to, you know, give my life to Christ. And, oh, I'm sorry, it didn't it just that it was a sin, that I was in sin, not about the Jesus part, but I was in sin having an affair, being intimate with this guy. And so, you know, I told the guy, you know, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, he was very, he respected me, he put me on a plane. So I got back to California, got back to L.A., and my sister says, you know, like, where have you been? All this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I just want to kill myself because now I'm at God. And, you know, I've been sinning against God, and I feel so guilty and sinful. And, you know, I've been trying to clean myself in the bathroom. When I was on the airplane, I was washing myself with soap. And, how do I get clean? I feel so dirty. <laughs> and she said, you know, Allison, you know, while you were away, I met the Lord and he gave my life to Jesus. And she said, that's the devil that wants you to kill yourself. And she said, you know, God wants you to live and he died for you. And Jesus loves you and he wants to give you a new life, you know. And all you have to do is repent of your sins. And, you know, he'll give you a new life. And I said, oh, really? And, you know, I said, okay, I'm ready. And I, so in my father's living room, I you know, I repented of my sins, and immediately I felt the Holy Spirit and that shame and that guilt of sin being washed away, and it just felt so grand and beautiful. So long story short, I, you know, got saved in my living room, went through the process of learning more about God, but I got a record deal, and I cussed in my records and, you know, talked about filthy things in my records. I did, but in the process of reading the Bible even more, I started to learn that maybe what I was thinking about wasn't pleasing to God. So I had got the record deal. And we'll talk to Allison about her record deal and her work with Herb Albert on the other side of the break. Allison Mills Newman is with us on the line. Chuck Harder is with us in the studio. We hope you'll stay with us when we continue our conversation here on TV Confidential. One more item. If you love Ella Fitzgerald, our friend Jeffrey Mark celebrates the music of the First Lady of Song every week on Jeffrey Mark plays Ella. You can hear Jeffrey Mark plays Ella on Megaphone and wherever else you find podcasts. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings crazy funny ones. I talk to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. 
or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.